Welcome back everyone to Equity Tutors. Um, I just want to start by apologising for a lesson that I missed a couple of weeks ago. Um, I actually had a really bad flu and thank you to Lauren for stepping in for me last week as well. So in the last lesson that you heard from me, um, I did two back-to-back lessons on uh, exchange and transport in animals and we covered different types of ventilation in fish, insects and in plants. We discussed what exchange meant, what made for a good exchange surface and what characteristics made a good exchange surface. And then we looked at gas exchange uh, specifically in mammals, so looking at the lungs, looking at uh, how the lungs are adapted to their function and the process of inspiration, expiration, and again, um, how the anatomy of the lungs are suited for that function. And then finally, we went over the spirometer. Lauren also covered transport in plants, so transpiration and translocation and uh, digestion and absorption with you. So we're reaching towards the end of um, the exchange um, of substances or exchange transport, depending on what your exam board is, you may call it something different, but um, exchange and transport is generally speaking what this module is covering. So we are nearly at the end. We have one topic left, which we may get into one lesson today, um, but if not, if it's too much information, I will split it over two. Um, and that is on circulatory systems in mammals. So this covers essentially the heart. The, the main bulk of it is the heart, but we also need to understand what circulatory systems are, why they are necessary, um, how these might vary depending on the organism. And then we're going to dive in deeper circulatory system in mammals. So that not only covers the heart, the direction of travel of blood throw, flow through the heart and how that is regulated and um, how that's regulated in terms of how the heart is myogenic and the electrical regulation and also different structures of blood vessels and how they are adapted to the function of circulation and um, finally the function of tissue fluid. And I just wanted to take a moment to remind you all how important it is that you go over, subscribe to our Patreon page and get all the extra content there. So here in these free lessons, what we're doing essentially is just feeding you this information, but it's really important that you contextualize that information. You can know all, you can know a textbook front to back, but if you've done practice questions, if you've done think outside the box and think of that information from a different angle sometimes which is what we do over in the extra lessons on the Patreon page is challenge your ideas discuss them a little bit further it's really difficult for you to go into an exam without uh, practicing that knowledge um, and to do well in that exam learning the information learning the textbook um, and understanding all of these processes is just step one step two is applying that knowledge and you cannot do that without to practice so go over to our patreon page subscribe there's different levels of subscriptions all the information is on the web page so let's start with what is a circulation system 
So in larger organisms where the surface area to volume ratio is not large enough for the diffusion alone, so remember when we talked about um, exchange of substances, um, in some organisms this is very simple and can occur, for instance, in a bacteria just across its membrane. But the bigger the organism, the, the difference in surface area to volume ratio changes and diffusion alone is not enough to supply that organism with whatever it needs. So for example, oxygen, glucose and other molecules that we need to survive. Therefore, we need a circulation system. So the point of entry for whatever nutrient or whatever it is you need, so for example, we take the lungs is the point of entry for oxygen. We need a way of then moving that oxygen around the whole body. Same situation for food. We need a way of distributing all the nutrients that we get from food and glucose. We need a way of getting it around the body to different cells where these substances are needed. And that is what we, we call a circulatory system. And there are many common features of a circulatory system. So if you're looking in a, um, whatever organism you're looking at, they tend to have similar features. And the first one of these is a suitable medium. What I mean by that is what is, it, what is the um, material of transport? So what is the transport medium is what we call this. So in mammals, it is blood. And blood, as you probably know from your GCSEs, is made up from a range of different things. And all of these different components in blood are each adapted to distribute different things throughout the body. So you've got hemoglobin in blood, which is there so that you can better circulate oxygen, for example. Blood is water-based. And then what this means is that substances can easily dissolve in it. Think back to our first module when we talked about the properties of water. One of the things that made water so good for the, to be the basis of life was that that substance is easily dissolved in water. So, for example, sugar, vitamins, hormones, all of these things can be distributed around the body in blood because it's water-based. So the second common feature of a circulatory system is that there is a means of moving the medium. Imagine you have a suitable medium, so as we discussed blood, you don't want that blood to stay still. You need it to keep moving. And in mammals, in humans, we have the heart. The heart acts as a pump to maintain the pressure to keep that medium moving around the body. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we go into the different types of blood vessels and lymph uh, fluid, etc. Third, you need a mechanism to control flow around the body. So in some cases, you may want to, for example, stop backflow. And in mammals, we call these valves. So these are little flaps, which mean that the blood flow can only go one way. And if it tries to go another way, they close up. And then find the final feature is that it's a closed system. So what do I mean by it's a closed circulatory system? So the blood is contained inside blood vessels and usually is only circulating unidirectionally. As we just described, it can't go backwards because of the valves. But in general, if we, if we again use the example of the heart, 
The blood is circulating from the heart, goes all the way around in one circuit, all the way around the body before returning to the heart again. There is no shortcut back to the heart. It goes all the way around and then comes back in a closed system. So in mammals, the circulatory system is a closed double circulatory system. And what this means is that there are two ways out of the heart and two ways back into the heart, essentially. So we have two loops attached to the heart. We have one small loop, which pumps blood to the lungs to be oxygenated and comes back to the heart. And then you have the other side of the heart, so a bigger loop, which then pumps that oxygenated blood that's just arrived from the lungs to the rest of the body. So I'll just explain that again. It's a double closed circulatory system. So the heart essentially has two pumps. One pump pushes blood to the lungs to be oxygenated. And then the larger, stronger part pumps the oxygenated blood around the body to all the vital organs and tissues. So I'll just recap this first section on circulatory systems. So in large organisms, we need a circulatory system because we can't rely on diffusion alone to supply substances to the body. And there are common features to a circulatory system. So no matter what the organism, they all have these four features. Firstly, a suitable medium. This just means the medium or the liquid, essentially, in which the all of the things that we need, the substances we need, oxygen, glucose, etc., are being transported in. So the transport medium. The second is a means of moving the medium aka the heart or something pumping the medium to get it moving because it's not going to work if it's just laying in the same place. Third, a mechanism to control the direction of the flow. Again, in humans, this is valves as an example. They prevent the backflow of the blood. And then finally, that it's a closed system. And this means the blood is contained inside the vessel, moves one direction in one big loop from the heart and back. And in humans, we have a closed double circulatory system, which means the heart is a double pump. It's one loop is going via the lungs for the blood to get oxygenated. It comes back to the heart. And then the other stronger side, the bigger pump, pumps that oxygenated blood around the body, which is the bigger loop. Now let's look at some of the structures that we need to learn about before we go into the cardiac cycle itself. So I want to start with the blood vessels that I just discussed. So what is forming the circulatory system other than the heart? So we'll start with just by explaining that that depending on the location of the blood vessels, they will need to be adapted slightly differently. So you will have some blood vessels, for example, if they're really close to the heart, which are experience a lot of high pressure because uh, they're right next to the heart, which means when the heart is pumping, they've got they are at a location where they're experiencing the most force. So picture this in your mind, they need to endure high pressure. You get um, different blood vessels then where you need which are further away from the heart, so they're they're under lower pressure. You also need smaller blood vessels to get into smaller blood vessels to get into smaller areas of the body and also to get into tissues in the body where you need the nutrients and the oxygen to diffuse out freely. 
So these are the reasons why the blood vessels, the types of blood vessels need to be adapted to their location in the body and their function. So we'll start with arteries. Arteries are adapted for carrying blood away from the heart to the rest of the body. So these are the blood vessels that are emerging from the heart and as I just described, if they're closer to the heart, they're going to have to withstand a higher blood pressure because they're right next to that pump, which is forcing the blood out of the heart and therefore a higher pressure. And therefore, they contain elastic tissue in the walls. This allows them to stretch and recoil and smooths out the, smooths out the blood flow. They also contain smooth muscle, which enables them to vary the blood flow. So, for example, they can contract and relax depending on how much blood flow is needed during that time and by location. And they are lined with smooth endothelium to reduce friction and ease the flow of blood. And then we have arterioles. So these are little branches off the arteries. They are, so essentially imagine you have a artery coming from the heart which is going to your stomach when it gets to the stomach it needs to branch off into smaller parts and these are called the arterioles so these branch off arteries they have thinner and less muscular walls and their role is to feed into capillaries so we're going from big to small so we've gone from artery to arteriole to capillaries and capillaries are the smallest blood vessels this is where the metabolic exchange is going to occur and this is because the walls of the capillaries is only one cell thick. So think, for example, of the alveoli when we were doing ventilation. What does one cell thick mean for the walls? It means that there's a fast exchange of substances. It means that the distance that the substances need to exchange over is smaller, making the capillaries good for their function. Remember to always think back to structure-function relationships. This is something I go over a lot in our lessons over on Patreon if you are interested is all about contextualizing this information and being able to apply it to how they ask you questions in exams. So after capillaries, so the and where the exchange of substance occurs, so let's for example think of the stomach again, we have dropped off a bunch of oxygen to the stomach, maybe picked up some um, other nutrients from the stomach while also supplying the stomach with nutrients, and now we want to go back to the heart because we've given up the oxygen, we now have deoxygenated blood, we want to go back to the heart to pick up more oxygen. So the capillaries then move on to venules, and the venules are a smaller version of veins. And veins are the type of blood vessels that will carry blood from the body to the heart. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this section, these blood vessels are going to be adapted for their function. So imagine these are the furthest blood vessels away from the heart. They're going to have a lower blood pressure than the arteries have. For this reason, they have a wide lumen. This maximizes the volume of blood that can be carried back to the heart. They are thin-walled as blood is under low pressure. So there's no need to... Uh, smooth out the blood flow that the arteries need to do and they also contain valves to present the backflow of, of blood so imagine it's under low pressure the 
blood is probably tempted to maybe sometimes flow backwards or stay still. So they've got valves included in the veins. So if there is a reduction in pressure and the blood is is pulled backwards somewhat, it's presented to move backwards because there are valves present. The weak pulse of blood means that there's little elastic tissue or smooth muscle because there's no need for the stretching and recoiling that the arteries experience. So just to quickly uh, summarise this section, we have two main categories of blood vessels, starting with the biggest blood vessels, arteries and veins. Arteries carry blood from the heart to the rest of the body while veins carry blood from the body back to the heart. So the arteries are going to contain oxygenated blood from the heart and take that to the rest of the body. Because the arteries are emerging from the heart, they are going to withstand higher pressure. The pressure is being generated by the heart, by the pump. And so the closer those arteries are to the body, the thicker they're going to be and the more sturdy they're going to need to be. For this reason, they've got thicker walls made to withstand this high blood pressure and they even have elastic tissue, which means they can be springy. So with each pump of the heart, they can stretch out and then recoil to smooth out the blood flow. They also contain smooth muscle, which can contract and relax this will also control blood flow in different areas of the body a really good example of this is when you're hot one of the reactions is that you your uh, blood vessels can expand so that there's more blood flow to the surface of the skin and um, there will be more vaporization you learn about this at a different time it's just an example of how muscles in blood vessels can control the amount of blood flow in that area to um, help with a specific problem. And the veins are the almost the opposite structures of arteries. So they have a wide lumen and thin walls, and this is because they, they are under low pressure. So we want to maximise the volume possible in order to get as much blood flow back to the heart. And the other feature of veins that you need to know is that they contain valves again this is related to the low blood low pressure you can imagine it's really far away from the heart so it's struggling to feel the effects of that pump so you there is a risk of backflow in the veins which so it means that they have valves then we also have arterioles which are essentially branches of arteries and venules which are branches of veins and then finally capillaries, which are the smallest blood vessel of all. And these have a one cell thick wall for fast exchange um, and are the site of metabolic exchange. So these are the little, little um, blood vessels that will infiltrate your tissues and your organs. So now that we understand circulatory systems in mammals and the different blood vessels involved in that circulatory system. Now I want to talk about the pump of that circulatory system, the heart. And I'm going to split this into firstly, let's just understand the structure, the direction of the blood flow, because there's going to be a lot of new words, which seem scary, um, and a lot of terms that can be quite tricky. So firstly, I just want to slowly go over the direction of blood flow um, through the heart. 
And then the next lesson will probably cover how that blood flow is regulated. So let's look at the heart structure. And another tip I always give um, is that you look at as many different diagrams as you possibly can because they're all going to be slightly different. You don't want to just get used to the one in your textbook or the one that I'm showing now on screen. Um, again, if you listen to this in podcast form, I always put a link to a Google Doc with all the images below. But you don't want to get used to just those images because in an exam, they love to put a slight um, spin on a diagram or put something in, the, in there which is confusing, label something that you haven't heard of before to try and confuse you. So try and label the um, structures that you need to know in as many diagrams as you possibly can and ones that look as different as they possibly can. So as I said, the heart is made up of two pumps. We have a double circuitry system. We have one pump which pumps blood to the lungs and come back, comes back to the heart oxygenated. And then the other pump which moves blood which has come back from the lungs oxygenated to the rest of the body. And when I talk about these two different pumps, I'm refer essentially referring to the left and right side of the heart. Now, the first thing you need to note when you're looking at a diagram of the heart, when I say right, it's going to be the left-hand side and the left is going to be the right-hand side. And this is because we are naming the chambers according to the, the direction it would be on ourselves. So in this image that you are looking at, you need to imagine it flipped if it was on yourself. So the chambers of the heart are called the atrium and the ventricles. So the atria and the ventricles. And you have a right atria, left atrium, right ventricle, left ventricle. And the atriums are at the top and the ventricles are at the bottom. Those are your basic chambers, your base, the basic structures of the heart. And then you also have four main blood vessels that you need to know. So firstly is the aorta, as you can see on the diagram. You Then you have the pulmonary artery, the pulmonary vein and the vena cava. So pulmonary means lung. And so when you hear pulmonary artery or pulmonary vein, you know that these are the blood vessels carrying blood to and from the lungs. And then the aorta is taking blood from the heart to the rest of the body. Since it's a blood vessel taking blood from the heart to the rest of the body, it is an artery. And then the blood vessel which is bringing the blood back to the heart from the body is the vena cava which is a vein so the vena cava is the largest vein in the body the aorta is the largest artery in the body now the naming of the pulmonary artery pulmonary vein are slightly different to what we've just learned about arteries and veins because what we've learned so far is that all arteries are going to have oxygenated blood because they're leaving the heart going to the body and then Veins are going to be deoxygenated because they're coming back to the heart. But in this case, it's actually going to be the opposite because the pulmonary artery is leaving the heart, going to the lungs, and is deoxygenated. It becomes oxygenated in the lungs and comes back to the heart via the pulmonary vein 
where it is oxygenated? That is a very common exam question. What is the only artery or the only vein to be deoxygenated or oxygenated respectively? They like to trick you with that question. So if we put this all together, we have the, superior, the vena cava, which can be split into superior and inferior. That just means top and bottom. Brings the blood back to the heart from the body, deoxygenated blood, and enters the right atrium, which on your image is on the left-hand side. It enters the right atrium from there, moves into the right ventricle, so from the top chamber to the lower chamber. From the right ventricle, it now needs to go and get oxygenated. How does it get oxygenated? By going to the lungs via the pulmonary artery. So the deoxygenated blood leaves the right ventricle via the pulmonary artery to the lungs to collect oxygen. It then returns to the heart via the pulmonary vein. Oxygenated blood is returned to the heart by the pulmonary vein into the left atrium, so the top chamber. It moves from the left atrium into the left ventricle, the bottom chamber, and then moves out of the heart to the rest of the body via the aorta, which is the biggest blood vessel in the body. So one more structure I'm going to introduce before I recap, and these are the valves. We've just learned that the valves in Veins will present, prevent the backflow of blood and they do the same thing in the heart to, a, so to, a, to assure that the blood is only going to go in one direction. So, for example, it doesn't move from the ventricle back to the atrium, etc. They are valves. So, between the atrium and ventricles, there are a set of valves. On the left, it's the atrioventricular valve or the bicuspid valve. And on the right, we have the atrioventricular valve called the tricuspid valve. We also have a pulmonary valve. So that is at the entrance to the pulmonary artery and then the aortic valve at the entrance of the aortic artery. Depending on the exam board, you may have a different terminology for these atrioventricular valves so by atrioventricular I mean the valve that's separating the atrium and the ventricle and I will clarify those in the follow-up lesson on Patreon but for now just remember atrioventricular valves separating the atrium and the ventricle preventing blood from the ventricles being pushed back into the atrium and the reason this is important, as you can imagine, is when the right ventricle is contracting to push blood out of the pulmonary artery, you do not want that pressure to push blood back into the right atrium. So I'll just go over the blood flow now that we have all the structures understood and have broken them down one by one. I want to go over in detail again how the blood is moving around the heart coming to and from the body so it enters the right atrium from the vena cava the right atrium will contract and push blood into the right ventricle via the left atrio via the right atrioventricular valve which can also be called the tricuspid valve 
The right ventricle then contracts and pushes deoxygenated blood through the pulmonary artery to the lungs to become oxygenated and here it passes through the pulmonary valve. Blood is then returned to the left atrium via the pulmonary vein containing now oxygenated blood. The left atrium contracts, blood flows into the left ventricle via the left atrioventricular valve or the bicuspid valve. Some people may also call it the mitral valve. The left ventricle then contracts, pushes blood through the atrial valve into the aorta to distribute oxygenated blood through the body. And one thing more I want to mention before I finish this lesson, and again I will be finishing the um, this topic next week, is that is the topic of why we need two separate pumps. So I explained at the top of the lesson that this is a closed double circulatory system. So we have one system that is with the right side, which takes deoxygenated blood to the lungs and then it returns to the right side, the left side of the heart. And then we have a bigger loop, which is distributing the oxygenated blood to the body. And the reason we need those two separate things, the two separate um, circulatory systems, and not just the blood going to the lungs first and then carrying on all the way to the body, is that we need to maintain a blood pressure around the, the whole body. So one pump sending the blood to the lungs and then trying to maintain that pressure as the blood comes out of the lungs as well, we wouldn't be able to maintain the pressure just from the one pump alone. Therefore, it comes back to the heart so more pressure can be applied before to distribute around the whole body. So next week, I will be applying an added level of complication onto this. So you need to really make sure that you understand all of those structures and the direction of blood flow through the heart because next week what I'm going to do is talk about how that process is regulated. So I briefly talked about there the right atrium, atrium contracting moving into the right ventricle etc but that is actually all regulated um, by the heart itself. So I want to break down step by step the cardiac cycle so what is regulating the right atrium to contract what is making the right ventricle contract um, and how those muscles are, are excited so that we can then layer that over what we just learned about the direction of travel. And then finally we want to learn about haemoglobin and then for some of you we'll also be going over tissue fluid and how that is formed. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content, and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. Please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye. Bye.